Uh, we are in chapter 4. Bill almost made it through chapter 4, but uh, just a little recap. He, he finished up. There's a couple of verses left in chapter 4, and that's by design. Uh, remember, as we go through God's Word, it's, you know, they added chapter and verse later so we could find things in the Bible. So you, you, you don't want to be hooked up on chapter and verse, but we need to stay in the context of God's Word, right? So if you're reading something in God's Word and it seems kind of strange, back up, right, or move forward in it and read, keep things in context, because if not, you know, we can kind of cherry pick God's Word, right? We can kind of make it say what we want it to say, right, to fit, to fit us. And that's, that's not right. So we've got to be careful with that. So we, we, we know that Adam and Eve sinned, right? And, and through Adam and Eve, they had two kids, right? And, and, and Cain and Abel, they inherited that sinful nature. And, uh, you know, we're all children of Adam and Eve, aren't we? And we all inherited that same sinful nature. However, we do have a choice, you know? And as I was going through forward this week and studying, man, I, I, I noticed in there how we have a choice, Cain had a choice, didn't he? Cain and Abel, they brought an offering to God. God looked favorably on Abel's offering because he slaughtered a, a goat or a lamb, whatever. He brought the fat of that animal to God, right? There was a sacrifice. Now, Cain, Cain wasn't wrong, right? He bought, brought the some of his crops, okay? He did what he thought was right in his own mind. Y'all ever been there? He did what he thought was right, what he thought would honor God, and... Uh, he really didn't bring God his best, did he? What did he bring God? It said some of his Christ. He brought some leftovers. And God, God didn't look favorably on his offering. And Cain was angry, man. Cain was mad. Anybody struggle with anger here? You know what? Every one of us need to raise a hand. Because we all struggle with anger, right? Now, that's not an issue. God gave us that emotion, right? The Bible says be angry, but don't sin. You can be angry, but not sin, okay? So Cain was angry, man. He was dejected. And God told him, he said, hey, man, look, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do what's right, you, you won't be accepted. And then he told him, he said, look, sin is crouching. And I got the picture there in my mind. Again, I got movies in my mind. I got the picture there, man, of a lion. You know how a lion, y'all watch stuff on, you know, you watch animals? A lion ready that snuck up on a deer or antelope and has got down in position, crouching down, ready to attack. So uh, uh, did Cain have a choice? Cain had a choice. He most certainly did. But what, what did Cain do? You know, he did what we do. See, it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. But what do we, who do we fight with? We fight with each other. It's a spiritual battle. It was between God and Cain, right? It's a spiritual issue. But what did Cain do? He calls Abel up, say, hey man, bring that John Deere tractor over here. Come on, I want you, come on, I want to show you my new stuff. Get the truck, let's go out in the field. And he kills his brother. He takes his anger out on his brother when the issue wasn't with his brother. His brother did the right thing with God. His brother was doing what God wanted him to do, right? 
But Cain takes it out on him. Guys, that, that should be, we ought to be able to stop right there and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Right, right now, let's put the kickstand down. Who, who are you fighting with right now? Who, who you got an issue with right now? Okay, stop. Go back and read this verse. You put yourself, if you're fighting with somebody physically on earth right now, if there's some issues physically on earth, go back, put yourself in Cain's position, if, if it's you, you know, because it's never us, is it? I mean, we're always able, aren't we? I'm never Cain. And ask God to help you. Stop fighting with each other. Because the issue's not each other. The issue's with God, isn't it? Because if we make that right, what happens? Y'all heard us say it before. If, if the, the vertical's right, what happens to the horizontal? Horizontal's right if the vertical's right. So that's kind of where we're at right now. As a, as a result, God punishes Cain. Right? He drives him away just like Adam and Eve drove them out of the garden. God drives Cain away from their family and says, you're going to be a wanderer? Go. And Cain's upset. Look, man, the ground's never going to grow crops for you no more. Okay? You're going to be a wanderer. What's Cain do? He's defiant. Okay? Don't, don't forget that word. Defiant. He goes and start, he, he goes and he forms a city. Right? He marries. He forms a city. God told him he's going to wander. Oh, okay, I'll show you, God. Y'all ever done that? Y'all ever been defiant towards God? If you're not saved this morning, you are. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ this morning, you're still in, in a defiant, rebellious attitude towards God. So he builds a city. His descendants are successful, talented. They raise livestock. They're, they're creating musical instruments and, and music forging bronze and iron. And six generations later, Lamech, Lamech is married to two wives. Notice, notice the progression of sin here, right? He's got two wives and his kids, and, and he kills a boy that wounds him, and he's bragging to his wives, right? He's bragging to his wives about it. And he said, look, if someone avenged Cain, their punishment was seven times, then somebody takes vengeance out on me, it's 77 times. Wow, talk about some pride. There's some pride. Man, there's some pride and defiance and rebellion going on right there, right? And then Cain's descendants become more defiant, rebellious, prideful, arrogant. And chapter 4 is the last we ever hear of Cain and his descendants. That's it. So here we are, verse 25 of chapter 4, it says Adam, and these are the descendants of Adam to Noah, through his son Seth. It says Adam had sexual relationship with his wife again, she gives birth to another son, she named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Now, man, notice, notice here Eve's faith. Adam and Eve have not given up faith, right? They name him Seth, right? It means granted or appointed one, okay? Now, why, why are they, you got to keep in mind what happened in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 15, God made a promise, right? Your offspring, Eve, will crush Satan's head, but Satan's going to bite his heel, 
Who was the firstborn? Cain. Cain was the firstborn. Look at how Satan attacked Cain. See, Satan don't know, man. Satan don't know God's plan. Satan doesn't know all the details. All he knows is that God said one of her offspring was going to crush me. So Satan is doing everything he can to tempt mankind born to Eve. Uh, anybody here born uh, offspring of Eve? <laughs> Every one of us. And Satan didn't know. Satan had no clue. So he's tempting, and he's tempting because he wants to kill. He wants to take out the one that's going to crush his head. You see what's happening here? Now, Adam and Eve most likely had many sons and daughters. It's not just Cain, Abel, and Seth, right? I mean, God told him to go and, and, and multiply, fill the earth, so they did. But here early, man, in, in, in God's Word, we see... Uh, we, we, we see chapter 4, and now we see the beginning of chapter 5. And, and really, you know, as I was studying this week, I saw the two choices that we have. The two systems. You know those two systems in this world? There are two choices, two systems, two kingdoms. Let's call it kingdoms, right? There's two kingdoms in this world. Until I was age 35, I, man, I worked hard for one kingdom. You want, I'll give you three guesses, and the first two don't count. Whose kingdom I was working toward? J.D.'s kingdom. It's my will. My will be done on earth. It's my kingdom. Now, we got, that's what we got, right? We got, a, we got a worldly system or a worldly kingdom, or we got a godly system. We got God's kingdom, right? There's only the two. I mean, look, and see the God or Satan, right? There is no in-between. Right? Who owns the fence? Satan. It's his fence. So if you're on the fence this morning, it's God's way or Satan's way. Now when you say Satan, that's the world because who's the prince of this world? Satan. So when we talk about the things of the world, we're talking about Satan's kingdom. Right? It's either obedience to God or disobedience to God. It's either a right relationship with God or we're separated from Him. It's either repentance or rebellion, right? It's either a disciple or we're defiant. We're either giving God our best or what's left over. We're either worshiping God or worshiping the things of the world. We either belong to God or we belong to Satan. And if we're on the fence, who do we belong to? We belong to Him. Verse 26, so keep that in mind. That was there for a purpose. That's not a whole different message. Just keep that in mind because we're going to see at the end of chapter 5 how, how these two systems play, at, play out. It says, when Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. Man, don't miss that. Man, you know every word of God is important. Sometimes we kind of gloss over it, but don't, don't miss this right here. See, Seth chooses which way? He chooses God's way. Seth chooses God's way. He chooses, the, he chooses the right kingdom, right? Now, we don't know. It doesn't go into detail about what he did, but it just says he chooses God's way and God's system, and, and, and he has a right relationship with God. How do we know that? It says at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. When you start worshiping somebody by name, what does that mean? By name. Man, I may, I may know of you, but I don't know you. When you it, it, it goes to relationship, doesn't it? 
They don't no longer just know God. No, man, I know God, right? Names involved, relationships involved. I believe Seth is leading his family to, to worship and to obey God, and he's leading them into a relationship with him. Uh, keep in mind, man, Adam and Eve are still alive. The garden's still there. The cherubim, the flaming sword is still guarding the garden, okay? So they see that. They're still, you know, Adam and Eve are still sharing what happened. Hey, man, how did you get kicked out? Oh, wait, wait a minute, man. Why ain't you got a belly button? Y'all ever think about stuff like that? Huh? Think about it. Their kids got belly buttons. Adam and Eve don't have no belly button. Hey, they don't. God made them. God created them. You think kids, man, kids ask some crazy questions, man. Y'all got kids? My brother's two boys, man, they ask some crazy questions. And my brother would answer. And if he didn't know it, he'd say, let's go find out. Both of them boys were brilliant, man, because he took the time to answer their questions. Parents, answer your kids' questions. Man, they had no belly button. You think they had, well, why don't you have a belly button? Well, son, God, God made me. I wasn't birthed. God, God made you? How to, so think about these things, man. They know. So Seth is leading them to worship, right? They worship the Lord by name. There's a relationship there, right? Man, the same applies. Don't, don't miss the choice that you have this morning. So you have a choice this morning to be like Cain and Cain's descendants or to be like Seth and of Seth's descendants. We have a choice this morning. Whose kingdom are you a part of? Whose kingdom are you focused on? Whose kingdom are you serving this morning? Now here in chapter 5, the next couple of verses, we go through the descendants of Adam it's from Seth down to Noah. And I know, don't check out, don't go to sleep on me. Where's something I can throw? <laughs> don't, don't go to sleep on me. Look, man, this is important. Here's, here's why it's important, okay? This is why, I know it's boring. I know it's boring. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and they lived and begat so-and-so. And, but look, here's why it's important. Number one, it confirms God's Word as historically reliable and accurate. Because if we didn't have it, we wouldn't know. Now, look, it's not made up stories. These are real people. These are real people who lived on planet Earth. This is the beginning of us. And when you start thinking about it that way, man, that, that, it becomes exciting then, right? And it helps us trust God's Word, right? It helps me trust God's Word. And if I trust God's Word, now I can choose the right kingdom. You see? You see what it, what it does? Look, it confirms prophecy. God's plan and promises are going to be fulfilled. Okay? God's plan is going to be fulfilled. And there's nothing we can do to, to, to cause his plan to go off track. Y'all remember a guy named Jonah? God told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. God said, oh, yeah, you are. He wound up three nights, days in the belly of a fish, a great fish. What eventually happened to, to Jonah? He went to Nineveh like God said. And a lot of Assyrians got saved because of it. Man, God's plan is going to be fulfilled, okay? And there's nothing that we can do to stop that, okay? 
Look, it helps us and gives us wisdom to make right choices. We become more faithful, obedient, and more hopeful. Why? Because, man, when we read about... See, that's the problem with taking all our history away today. Okay? This cancel culture is jacked up, man, because when you take our history away, what happens? We repeat the same mistakes. But if I've got the history, and if we teach history appropriately, accurately, according to God's Word, now we won't make the same mistakes over and over and over. Right? Parents, we've got to teach our kids. We've got to teach. Look, it's our personal history and heritage. Hey, man, this is about me. This is about you. This is our family we're talking about. Right? You ever did those DNA tests? Anybody ever do that? 23andMe or DNA test. It reveals where you came from. It reveals what, you know, what are you, you know? It provides encouragement and hope, you know? Look, God used some, God used some crazy jacked up people, didn't he? I mean, really think about it. You think about the people in the Bible. Hey, man, that's hope for me. Yeah, when I read about these crazy jacked up people in God's Word, I go, wow. Huh. Yeah, there's hope for me. And if there's hope for me, guess what? There's hope for all of us. So Romans 15.4 says this. Romans 15.4. Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. Don't neglect, don't neglect the Old Testament. It's there to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Right? It also confirms that God is not some distant being. Okay? God's not some distant being who's disconnected with our life. God is actively, intimately involved. Okay? Don't ever think God is just some high power that doesn't think about me. Oh, yes, he does. How do you know? Boom. Look at that cross. That's how you know God's actively involved and He loves you and He wants to be involved in everything in your life. The cross. He would have never sent Jesus if He didn't want to be. And at last, it gives us foundational truth to stand on when the world continues to tell us a lie. Man, that's a lot of lies that the world is, is propagating today and a lot of lies that the world is kind of pushing toward us, right? Huh? This gives you foundational truth to stand on, okay? And when you stand on God's Word, we're standing on truth. Not my truth, not your truth, no, His truth. That makes a difference, right? It makes a big difference. So here, this is the written account. I mean, verse 1, chapter 5. This is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, or man, He made them to be like Himself. He created them male and female. There we see God is perfectly male. God is perfectly female. Okay? And blessed them and called them human. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. Here again, that sin nature is being passed down, right? He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he, say that word, died. 
Now, how's it possible for a man, this is where a lot of people in the world, man, if you're in the world's system, the world's kingdom, they get jacked up right here, man, okay? How can a person live to be 930 years old? I mean, come on, man. Now you, okay, you had me before that, uh, maybe after chapter three. You know, I'm kind of iffy on one and two, three maybe, four, okay, five, but right here, you just lost me, dude. Ain't no cat going to live to be 930 years old. God created them perfectly. God creates them perfectly. There's no defect. All of a sudden, when sin enters into the human race, now all of a sudden, sin's starting to have its effect on them, right? Look, Adam and Eve were made to live forever. Then they sinned against God, and sin starts having its effect. That's how. They're not going to live forever anymore because God told them what? If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely, what was that word? Die. So, God, again, God's promise, God's curse for sin was death. Adam died. When Seth was 105 years old, verse 6, he became the father of Enosh and after the birth of Enosh, Seth lived another 807 years. He had other sons and daughters. Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. When Enos was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After the birth of Kenan, Enos lived another 815 years. He had other sons and daughters. Enos lived 905 years, and then he died. When Mahalalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After the birth of Jared, Mahalalel lived another 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Mahalalel lived 895 years, and then he died. Y'all see a theme here? When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After the birth of Enoch, Jared lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. When Jared lived 962 years, wow, that's a long time, almost 1,000 years, and then he died. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. Now, stop right there for a minute. This lineage does not mention all the kids. Notice it said they had other sons and daughters, other sons and daughters. It doesn't mention all of them. It's only those through whom God's promise was going to come. Okay? And this, this is important. And up to this, up to this point here, we're, we're at Methuselah. We've got seven generations. And, and we've got three things in common, right? Number one, so-and-so became the father of. Okay? So they did what God said. They become the father of. And they had many sons and daughters, right? They had families. They had kids. They lived X number of years. And we saw that, right? Working, living, providing for their families. And then the third thing we see is, and they what? They died. However, in verse 22, there's a change. Something's different. Something's unique. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. For another 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. 
What's different? He didn't die. Enoch, look, man, in three verses, it says two times, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God. He said Enoch was walking in close fellowship with God. Man, he was so close in fellowship with God that God just took him. Hebrews 11, 5 says, look, it's by faith. that Hebrews 11 is the chapter of the hall of faith, right? Chapter of faith in the Bible. It says, look, it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person that pleased God. Hey, what kind of choice do you think he made early in life? What, what kingdom did he choose? Enoch was one of two people mentioned in the Bible who never experienced death. Enoch, here we read about him in Genesis, and Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. Read about that sometime. Elijah was taken up. Man, talk about cool. Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire led by horses of fire. Huh? That ain't got nothing on no motorcycle. That ain't got nothing on no Harley Davidson, no Indian, no Trump. No, I, mean, I don't care what you ride, man. That a horse is a fire and a chariot of fire in a whirlwind. Man, talk about a way to go out. So, so here we have Enoch and Elijah never experienced death. Now, I don't understand all of that. I think God's going to use that in Revelation. There are going to be two witnesses that come back, and they're going to die, and they're going to be raised to new life. I think it may be Enoch. And Elijah, because God said, you're going to die, right? Man, look, look at this. See, if we're not living in, walking in close fellowship with God, then you know what we're just doing? We're just living. We're just living. And man, I, I really believe, man, you know, it, it, somebody once said, I don't remember who it was, somebody attributed it to Abraham Lincoln. It said, look, man, it's not, it's not the life in your, or it's not the years in your life that matter. Not the years that matter, it's the life in those years that matter. Right? And I believe, man, if, if we're not walking in close fellowship with God, and we're not even experiencing real life. We're just living. And guys, look, there's a difference in just living and experiencing real life in Jesus Christ. Experiencing real life in God. Because up to 35, I remember at age 35, I was living. We were making tons of money. We were doing, you know, had everything and blah, 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 blah. We were living. But I didn't know real life until I surrendered to Jesus Christ. And in 1998, after February the 15th, I started to experience real life. Some of you remember the date that God changed you, okay? We're, we're watching the Chosen video, right? Mary Magdala, or Mary Magdalene, she was, she was possessed with demons. She meets Jesus. She tells Nicodemus, look, I was one way, and then now I met a guy, and I'm not that way anymore. Who did she meet? She met Jesus. I was living in this kingdom, and I met the, I met the one who came and, and gave his life for me, and I'm not that way anymore. I used to live in that kingdom, and now I'm in this kingdom. Guys, there's a difference. So let me ask today, are you just living? 
Are you experiencing real life today? Verse 25, it says, When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. Lamech was Noah's father. Now, we read earlier about another Lamech, right? Who was the other Lamech? That was Cain's descendant, right? Lamech, who had the two wives, who a boy wounded him, and he killed him, right? Look at the difference in the two. Lamech's Noah's fathers, and look, if the genealogies are without gaps, right? Uh, and, and, and most scholars of the Bible believe they are without any gaps, then do you know Adam and Eve were still alive when Lamech, Noah's father, was born? They were still alive. Adam and Eve, Eve lived nine generations because of the length of their life. They're still alive when Lamech was born and, and, and were alive to about 60, 65 years of his age. Right? So after the birth of Lamech, Methuselah lives another 782 years and he had other sons and daughters. Methuselah lived 969 years. Oldest person in the Bible. Okay, there's your trivia question. Then he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah. Here you go, we get in a different, tra- a, a, a different uh, uh, change again. He just goes, you know, I'm not living life. I'm not just going through the motions. Lamech was 182 years old. He became the father of a son. Lamech named his son Noah. And here's the difference. Here's the change. May he bring us relief or comfort from our work. And the painful labor of farming this ground that the Lord has cursed. Everybody up to that point, only Enoch and Lamech and Noah, something is said about their life, about them as a person. Noah, like Enoch, would be a godly man, faithful and obedient to God. And how would Noah bring relief from the land? How would Noah bring that about? God told him to build a boat, right? He built a boat, and it's through Noah and his family, only eight people, that God saved the human race. Okay? That's a hard way to save us from our, our labor, but that's how God did that. It says, after the birth of Noah, Lamech lived another 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Lamech lived 777 years, and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, we don't know if he had other sons and daughters because it doesn't say that here. Uh, Maybe he did, or maybe those three are the only three that God felt they were worthy, righteous enough to be included on the ark. Uh, I put a chart up here, and you can see this chart. Here's the flood. Methuselah died the year of the flood, but you can see up here Adam, 930. Adam's still alive when Lamech was born. Guys, nine generations. What's the point? Well, again, remember, every, every person born had a choice. Every person, all nine generations, all nine generations of children produced had a choice. And up to Lamech, Noah's father, they still had Adam and Eve here, right? They still had Adam and Eve. They still had uh, the grandsons. They still, I, I believe until the flood, the cherubim and the flaming sword were probably still guarding the garden. 
The Bible doesn't say that, but otherwise they would have been able to go back in the garden, right? And eat of the tree of life. How do we get to a point when we go through the genealogy, when we go through nine generations of people born, only only two people have something mentioned about them. Only two people. Enoch, hey man, he was here. He walked with God and then bam, God took him. And Noah. Only two out of nine generations. You know, in the Bible, Jesus talked about that. Jesus said, look, broad is the road that leads to where? Destruction. And Jesus said, narrow is is the path that leads to eternal life. And then Jesus added, and very few find it. Man, this morning I want to ask you, what system, what kingdom are we in? See, chapter 4, we finished with Cain, right? If you look at Cain, they were successful, right? They were successful with livestock. They created musical instruments. They had music. They, they had forging of bronze and iron. They were successful people. But you notice about chapter 4, it was what? It was all about who? It was all about man. It was man-centered, man-focused. If you read chapter 5, we just went through that. What was the focus on in chapter 5? Wasn't it God-centered and God-focused? The only two things said about people in chapter 5 were Enoch. Hey, he walked in close fellowship with God to the point that God took him. And then Noah, who's going to be our relief from all our suffering here on planet earth because of God's curse. You see the difference in the two kingdoms? You see the difference, guys, in, in the two systems that are going on? And here's the problem, man. We've been so blinded. See, we've been so blinded in our own way of thinking. We've been blinded in the system of the world, man, because Satan, Satan is really good at, at lying to us and deceiving us, isn't he? So, what, 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 okay, all of that, what can we take away from chapter 5, right? If we aren't intentional with seeking the truth, not my truth, not your truth, not the world's truth, but God's truth. If we aren't intentional with the truth and walking in close fellowship with God, guys, we're going to be fooled. We're going to be fooled. And, and, and man, I'm going to tell you, it's sad to say this, but I, I think there's a lot of good people who've been fooled they're going to leave planet earth and they're going to stand before God. And like Matthew chapter 7, I think Jesus is going to say, man, but I, I did this in your name. But I, we did that in your name. We, man, this, this, you, you, ought, you ought to see the number of people that we fed, the homeless people we fed in your name. And I think Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Yeah, you did some good stuff. Yeah, I get that. There's power in my name. But I never knew you. I didn't know you. Because see, we, we, we bought into, we've been fooled by 
We've been duped by Satan to believe a lie. Here's an example. Nine generations who had Adam and Eve still alive. Can you imagine that today? If we were here, Adam and Eve is still alive. The conversation we could have, the truth that could be shared, knowing Adam and Eve is still here. I mean, some of I've heard guys say, well, man, if Jesus was here, you know, I could believe. If, if the disciples were still here, I could believe. Uh, here's, here's proof. Here's proof we wouldn't. So what do we do? Man, we've got to get past our rebellion. We've got to get past our defiance. And we've got to surrender to the truth of God. To the truth of God's Word, right? And then last, man, what kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? What kind of legacy do we want to leave? And I think that's important that we leave a legacy. See, Freedom Biker Church... Freedom Biker Church is a legacy of my family. Y'all heard of a church on Ramsey Street called Northwood Temple? Do y'all know where Northwood Temple, the idea for Northwood Temple, do you know where that came from? And I didn't know this until I moved back home in 2009. You know where that came from? In my grandparents' living room, John Davis Strickland and Sudi, was my grandmother, great-grandmother's name, Grandma got tired of driving across town, and in their living room, the idea for Northwood Temple was birthed, and they started meeting in their living room, and from that, Northwood Temple was born. I didn't know about that. It's, it's in the history over there. My, my, the last living relative, Uncle Craven, passed away a couple of months ago. Aunt Dorothy, she's in a nursing home. She's still alive. They're the last ones that are alive out of, out of my grandfather's family. My mother prayed for this church. She prayed. Mr. Ted, I tell you, she's talked to Mr. Ted many, many times. She said, I pray God's favor over Freedom Biker Church. Man, my mama was a prayer. If there was one thing about my mama, man, my mama was a woman of faith and a woman of prayer. And my mama prayed for God's favor. And you know those things are, man, those things are true. So I got great parent, great grandparents, I got grandparents, and I got parents, man, who prayed, and God is blessing this because that's man, that's an awesome legacy. So what, what's our legacy? What's your legacy? Maybe it's not been so good, okay? Maybe it hasn't been so good. Do you know you can break that? Do you know we can break the cycle of sin because we can leave? The world system, we can leave the Satan's kingdom and we can just march right on over to God's kingdom. And say, so God, I don't want nothing to do with that anymore. I want to start a new legacy in my family. I want to start a new legacy. Because I want to walk in so close a fellowship with you that you take me and use me. He may not take you out of this world, but we're taken, right? God took me in 2001. I had no clue what he was going to do, but I surrendered. Kelly and I both surrendered in 2001. So, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do, we'll do it. What's your legacy going to be today? Are we man-centered, man-focused, because we're in this worldly system, the world's kingdom? Or are we God-centered and God-focused because we're, we're in his kingdom?
Not my will be done. My kingdom come. No, what? Your will be done, Lord. Your kingdom come. Man, I challenge you, go back and pray. Go back and read this and ask God to open your eyes today. You know, we've all made bad choices, haven't we? We've all made some poor choices. And you know, it's never too late. Until you breathe your last breath, it's never too late to say, God, here I am. Use me. Take me. Make me the man, the woman that you want me to be so I can leave a legacy. I can leave a legacy. So when people think about me, when people, when my name comes up, All attention, all focus is on you, not me. Man, that would be a great legacy to leave, wouldn't it? So, man, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I want to challenge you this morning. Ask God to search your heart. Search me, Lord, right? Psalm 139, I think it's 23, 24. Search me, dear God. Search me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Surrender to him this morning. Get past that rebellion and defiance, right? That's in all of us. And let God do some amazing stuff this morning in your life. Walk in close fellowship with him. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray that you would remove the scales from our eyes and remove those barriers that we've erected. Help us to see the truth of your word. And really, Lord, you know what it is? I discovered this week as I was studying, you want me to be in a relationship with you. You want me to be restored to you. You want me to reject and deny this system that's in the world, this, this kingdom that's in the world, and you want me to come to you and your kingdom. And that's what that restoration is. That's what that rescue plan was that you had for us. That's really all it is. We become your slaves. You become the master as opposed to Satan being our master and the Lord of our life. Really, Lord, we, we realize that we want you more than we want anything. And the result of that is that we begin to experience real life. Real life. Not just living, but real life. Help us today, Lord. Help us today to be surrendered to you. In Jesus' name, amen.